This is Tom Lee, Editor-in-Chief for NEJAM Catalyst, and we're talking today with Robert Hart, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Oshner Health. Our specific focus today is how Oshner's prior experience with disasters and its commitment to high reliability principles has helped it adapt during the sustained crisis of the COVID pandemic. Like most of the country, Oshner saw a worsening of safety event rates, but then improvement. And even as national trends indicate that safety culture and safety events remain worse, Oshner has gotten better. We want to get a deeper understanding of how Oshner is weathering this storm and how these crises have made it a stronger, more innovative system. Robert, can you give a quick snapshot of Oshner Health for any listeners who aren't familiar with it? Sure, appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me today. Yeah, Oxner Health now, we operate over 40 hospitals now across the Gulf Coast, primarily in Louisiana. We have some uh, hospitals now in Mississippi, but uh, we have those 40 hospitals plus about 300 health centers or clinics uh, that are scattered around the state and the Gulf Coast. Right now, we're at about 34,000 employees and currently employ about 2,400 physicians and over 1,800 APPs across the system. And then in addition, uh, obviously, all of our affiliated physicians who work at many of our hospitals that aren't employees but work with us in, in, other, uh, uh, in other ways. Now, Oshner has been around for 80 years, but let's focus on how its culture has evolved since August 2005 when you had a little weather event known as Hurricane Katrina. Great. So there's, a, there, there's obviously lots of changes since Hurricane Katrina. And, and actually, uh, Dr. Lee, you may not know, we were actually having a physician leadership retreat in New Orleans the weekend that Hurricane Katrina hit. And uh, in fact, we had to end early that Saturday to send everyone back out to their regions to make preparations for the storm. So we had just had a big meeting, really began to think through uh, actually a whole idea around the culture of yes, of how we want to be available for our patients. And then we left New Orleans, uh, some of us that were in outlying regions, others obviously, the ones working here in New Orleans stayed here and went out and made preparations for Hurricane Katrina. When Hurricane Katrina hit, obviously everyone knows that New Orleans was, was flooded in many areas. Uh, all of the other hospitals were closed. We continued to maintain our Oxner Medical Center on Jefferson Highway, continued to keep it open to provide services for the community and, uh, and made it through that initial the part of the storm, the, uh, the, the surge, the storm, the flooding, the walls that broke, uh, that led to the city flooding. And then it started the big process of rebuilding and, uh, and rebuilding in a lot of ways, but certainly for us, rebuilding back the healthcare infrastructure here in New Orleans. There's a story from Ochsner that I just love, and I heard it several years ago from a doctor who described how during the storm, he and your CFO at the time 
broke into a Walmart to get supplies when the hospital was running low. The doctor said to me, once you've broken into a Walmart with your CFO, you relate to the organization a bit differently. That's, that is very true. Uh, I'm sure that does change your relationship. And, and, and that, that's, a, that's a true story. And we, uh, as, as you know, we were trying to keep, uh, keep the doors open, make sure we had supplies for the people that were coming in here for care. And, uh, and again, there were people trying to come in just for, uh, for shelter. And so we were trying to run uh, the place and, and be able to have supplies for everyone that was here. And the rest of the city was shut down. So that, that truly was the only way to get supplies. And uh, we actually, it should be included that we, uh, we did offer uh, to, uh, uh, went to Walmart to reimburse them. And uh, they uh, uh, generously said that uh, we, were, we were working for the public good and they were happy to accommodate that. But yes, that is, uh, there were some interesting things that happened during Hurricane Katrina. Well, did Katrina prepare you for COVID? I think Katrina and all of the other storms, if you think about uh, over the past 15 years that have hit the Gulf Coast have, have helped us prepare for disaster type scenarios. And again, a pandemic isn't, isn't like a hurricane, uh, but, but I will tell you about the initial surge and just how much that is a little bit similar to a hurricane, at least from a preparation standpoint, although the pandemic now has gone on to forest, but the hurricane really allowed us to begin to understand how important planning is for these storms. So having many of these storms across the Gulf Coast really has put us in a position where we have some very well thought out processes of how we plan for those storms. The other thing that it uh, forced us to do, and uh, which is, uh, again, great for our communities, is we've put in place generators that can run all of our hospitals. Uh, and I'm not talking about just keeping a few lights on. I'm talking about actually running the hospitals if we get cut off from our uh, uh, energy sources uh, during a storm. We have drilled, many of our facilities have wells that we have drilled specifically for storm purposes that we can continue to do our air conditioning and heating uh, by running the water through the, the, uh, the coolers uh, that we need to keep that going. So we've made, and then obviously just other hardening of our, uh, of our facilities to be able to stand up against the storm. And there's always a new curve thrown every time, as you can imagine, because we never know ahead of time exactly which area is going to get hit. But all of those things have allowed us to accommodate for these storms better. We have high water vehicles. We have even boats that we have uh, uh, purchased so that we have our own, what we call our Oxner Navy, if we need it. Uh, to get to an area that might uh, be flooded and we need boats to get there. So the, the, the Katrina experience and the other storms have really led us to understand how important that planning can be 
And with those good plans, allow us to continue to provide the quality care that we think patients deserve, even in those worst times of the storms being here. Well, pre preparation for that kind of storm is important, but the extent to which it prepares, prepares you for the other kinds of storms that happen. Uh, I mean, you've told me about the incredible rise in rates that you had in your hospital between March 11th and April 7th, really just four weeks in 2020. Uh, when that rise occurred, what happened with safety events at Oshner? So over the course of that time, and you're right, we, we went from our first patient on March 11th to 973 COVID patients in our system on April 7th. So less than a month. So I sometimes have to step back and think about that. Almost a thousand patients with COVID were in our hospital, came in into our hospitals uh, within a month, uh, less than a month time period. So what happened then, obviously we were, uh, uh, working every day to build more ICUs, to open up more floors, to bring in more staffing. And that staffing included more nursing help, uh, bringing people in from areas of the hospital or areas of clinic or procedure areas that weren't normally in the day-to-day -day patient care areas. So there we had a lot of people learning new processes. Now we had our core staff that was there to continue to educate and teach people. But what we did see, like the rest of the country, is things like some of our hospital acquired infections went up, our central line associated bloodstream infections, our caudies went up because some of our processes, we were not able to focus on them as well as we had a lot of new people in those areas. Again, our core staff was there continuing to educate, make people aware, but with the number of patients that we had in and also the length of stay, we had a lot of long-term patients that stayed in our ICUs for weeks and weeks. And so that risk of CLABC or central line infections and, and uh, catheter infections uh, definitely went up. Everyone in the country can identify with the worsening, but then you improved at your safety, your safety rates. You, you bounced back, and that's really a different story. So how did that happen? Yeah, so, so like I said, we had a lot of people in our hospital doing work, whether they were agency nurses coming from other places, but we had put into place a lot of processes around our, our patient care and specifically looking at our uh, hospital acquired infections to continue to focus on those and continue to, like I said, educate as we went. So as, our co as we began to get more comfortable with, with our COVID patients, and as we continued to stress a lot of the processes and procedures that we had in place, we were actually, as the pandemic has played out, even as we continue to maintain COVID patients in our facilities, 
as we continued to educate and, and really kept doubling down our resources and our focus on those processes and really focusing on where were we failing, where were we missing things, and, and continue to look closely at those areas. Pleasantly, as we begin to come out of the surges, and even the last surge, I was very pleased to see that we were continuing to make some nice progress in our uh, uh, percentage uh, as you look at our incidence of hospital-acquired infection. Those began to come down. Even as, uh, even as we were still in our fifth surge uh, and our sixth surge, uh, which certainly hasn't been as great, but we've seen those, uh, those infections come down. And I think it's about, we've got some unit-based APPs whose job it is, is to really focus on those infections. We've got dedicated resources to really monitoring those, uh, those catheters, the urinary catheters, the central lines, looking at pressure ulcers, making sure we're turning those patients. So it's really just refocusing and continuing to educate everyone on the processes that we have in place and making sure we're continuing to follow them. So it sounds like despite the distractions of uh, the flood of patients with a very serious problem, uh, you were able to maintain your focus on your commitments to high reliability principles of safety and other forms of quality. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yes, yes. We continue to really look at, again, those, those processes that we had, looking at safety. We continue to stress those as, uh, uh, as new people came into our facilities. And, and certainly we had, again, our core personnel who were continuing to drive that message to everyone that came into our hospitals. And so, like I said, even with the, the fifth surge, we began to see our hospital acquired infections gradually tick down and uh, very pleased with the trend that we're seeing even now uh, in 2022, as those begin to, to come down. And we've got those protocols in place, really making them work. Right as COVID hit, uh, actually it was March 12th that we were going to have an NEGM catalyst meeting at Oshner. And we picked Oshner as a site because we consider it one of the most innovative systems for chronic disease care. Uh, now we canceled that meeting in March of 2020 for obvious reasons. Uh, but as we think about the future now, uh, what are you hoping Oshner will be known for by its patients and your colleagues? So I would like to think that we're going to be known for the quality that we deliver, but also for the overall care that we give, not only those patients that are sick and in our hospitals, but also the care that we give our patients in trying to keep them well. Another thing to point out about the pandemic is we, we were able to, we were moving forward in the digital space, uh, doing virtual medicine. We have some digital hypertension and diabetes programs that we've been using. But an example of what the pandemic did and the lockdown is 
2019, we, we cajoled, we begged, we pleaded, we were able to get our physicians to do 2000 virtual visits in 2019 because we had a lot of people that had the technology we had trained them ready to go on it which put us in a good place because in 2020 when the lockdown hit we went from the 2000 visits that we had in 2019 to over 200,000 virtual visits and, and some of that is because we had a lot of the methodology in place, we had the technology in place, we, people had been trained. Uh, now we had to train a whole lot more people, but we were able to move into that space of virtual visits. I think the other thing, Dr. Lee, is with the labor force shortages that we're having right now, just as the pandemic and the lockdown forced us to really adopt at an accelerated pace, the virtual visits, I think the labor force issue is going to force us to begin to look at a lot of our other process and really think more about digital medicine. I think it's going to become not a nice to have, but perhaps a must have. So we've got digital diabetes and digital hypertension programs that we've got data now that shows that they can control blood pressure very well, even better than what, what one might consider, quote, conventional care. And then same with the diabetes, we're able to lower the hemoglobin A1C uh, by doing digital. And this is simply having patients check their blood pressure, check their diet, their blood sugars at home, and then they send those results to to us through their iPhone, send those results to us, and we have people managing those uh, and, and with protocols that are overseen by physicians that then allow them to really connect and, and engage with us, and, and we send them reminders, we keep asking them, check your blood pressure, check your blood sugar, and so they really stay engaged and it's allowed us to get much better results than what we were getting with conventional care. And it's in a way that the patient doesn't have to come to the office necessarily. And as we begin to think about more ways of how are we going to continue to deliver high quality care in this time where we have these labor force issues, this is one way that I think health systems, and certainly Ochsner is thinking that we need to adapt and uh, to be able to engage with our patients that way. So I think it's about better quality, using digital, do it at a less, at, for less cost, and still deliver great results. Well, I think that you summarized it well. I think uh, Ochsner, because of uh, history, recent history, has um, uh, found a way to integrate innovation with commitment to high reliability and, you know, through storms of every different type. Uh, I know that healthcare and your patients will be better off for it. And I know we'll be learning more from you and your colleagues in years to come. And uh, I, you can expect me to be knocking on your door again. So thanks so much, Robert. And, uh, and I know our readers are going to enjoy this. Great. Thank you very much, Tom. Appreciate it.